had it in Calvary um, many, many years ago. And every time I think I got up to speak there, and we used to speak there quite often, um, I would get the word, it, we're not full enough. And I got that word today here. I've had it before, but never so strongly as I had it today. We are not full enough. It, it kind of ties in with our message, but I think it ties in with this place. With This is actually a very big place. There is room for a lot more seats in this place. And I know at Calvary and Steinbach, they've had to add more rows, I think. It looks like they're very close to when the, where the speaker is. But wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful if there were so many lost who came into this place that when we would speak, we'd have to be way up there because there'd be no room here. Because the chairs would go right to the back and they'd be all filled. I think that's God's heart. It's not just so that you feel good about the size of your church. I think it's that God wants to bring in the lost. He wants to bring in the brokenhearted. He wants to bring in the people who are discouraged and distressed. And he wants them to find a place that they fit. You have room. You have room not only in this physical place, but you have room emotionally to bring people in. You have room spiritually to bring people in. And you have room in your hearts to bring those people who God intends to fit here. And we have hope for that. Ramona this morning prayed about hope. And I think that's a big, big thing, especially now especially in these days, because many people don't have hope. Many people are walking in doubt, in fear, in all kinds of turmoil. And we have the answer, do we not? Do we have the answer or don't we? We have the answer, right? Our message today might be a little bit different than, than uh, what you expect, uh, because it, it kind of goes against what society is telling us, what culture is telling us. And it really doesn't matter what culture you're in. We're in a lot of different cultures, and God is speaking the same things to us about this. And so we believe this is a message from him, and we believe it's a message for you in Landmark or wherever you are. And... Um, yeah, so we are just so grateful to be here. So the, the title is, Are You Empty? Are You Empty? And it comes out of a scripture that God put on our hearts, um, I think towards the end of 22, mm -hmm. or the first part of 23, I'm not sure when. It comes out of 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. And so we want to just put that up and, and spend a couple of minutes and just read through that together um, to get the Word of God out and in our front of us, and then we're going to talk about that. So, so if you could put it up now, that would be great. So beginning okay. at verse 4, or at verse 1 in chapter 4. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one of them is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and she told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. So th this is a story about Elisha, and if you're like me, I couldn't remember who he was or who, is this Elijah or is it mispronounced or, so I hope this is helpful. Elijah is kind of the, the student, Elijah is kind of the student of Elijah, and he is the one that Elijah passed his mantle, that is, gave him um, the, the job to do before Elijah got taken up to heaven. Elijah didn't die. And if you're like me and you're trying to remember who is who, I'm an English major, J comes before S. So Elijah comes before Elisha. I that's that's how got, I always she remember. She finally taught me I that, so I can remember. He's a math teacher. I'm an, I'm an English teacher. <laughs> well, I know one who was first and who was second, though. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> You're so smart. <laughs> so, so there's a widow of another uh, prophet who's a student, a group of people who seem to relate to Elijah as their boss or their head or their, their leader. And this fellow died and he had a wife and two sons. Um, we know that prophets in those days were not terribly wealthy, um, had very little and it seems like when that particular prophet that the story's about died, there was little left for his wife and his children to live on. And so in, the, in that time, in the Old Testament times, it was quite uh, reasonable for someone to sell their children to someone else in order to be able to keep them alive and yeah. to stay alive themselves. And so this widow was faced with this. So that, that means that she obviously had nothing left. So she was ready to sell her children to pay off the debt. So Elijah says several things to this widow. These are significant things. He says, what shall I do for you? In other words, how can I help you? He says, what do you have in your house? 
In other words, what resources do you have? And the widow answers, she doesn't say what Elijah can do for you. She's kind of leaving that up to Elijah. She says, I have nothing in my house except for a jar of oil. Some translations say a flask or a small jar. See, this was probably not a large jar of cooking oil. They usually kept cooking oil in larger jars. Her husband was a prophet. So this may well have been a small amount of anointing oil, which was very precious, which was very costly. So what is Elijah's solution? So he says to her, go out to all your neighbors and borrow, don't beg, borrow empty vessels. Um, and then he says, not just a few, you get as many as you can get. And this must have been quite a challenge because the neighbors probably weren't much better off than she was. And you couldn't go and ask them for a full vessel because they needed the vessel, right? But vessels are only good when they're used. And so to ask for an empty vessel that's sitting around not being used made a little more sense to her that she could go and ask for those things. And then he says, when you get all of those, take them into the house with your sons and shut the door. That seemed like a strange thing to say. Go around to all the neighbors, borrow all this stuff, and then take them <clears throat> into the house and shut the door so nobody can see what you're going to do with them. Huh? That's Elijah, right? A prophet of God speaking on God's behalf to her. So when no empty vessels remained, the oil ceased. Now here's the lessons for us, we believe. We want to note a few things. Empty vessels. Why would you fill a full vessel? Can you even do that? That doesn't even make sense, does it? You can't fill a full vessel. You're just going to waste whatever you pour in. I was tempted <laughs> to bring some jugs and waters and demonstrate that. And I would let him because I knew put he'd make a mess. Water all over the floor <laughs> in the building, and Jan said, "Yeah, it's probably not a good idea." Yeah. But then God says, "When you have those vessels, come into the house and shut the door behind you, you and your sons." Like that's a quandary. Why would God not want other people to see what, he, the, what they were doing? We think... This is a major miracle, isn't it? Don't you think so? This would be something we'd want to broadcast it on television, right? We'd, we'd want to have a platform. We'd want everybody to see. But I think what God is saying is he works in the secret place. The work that God is going to do in your life in your finances, in your children, in your family, he's going to do in the secret place. God does his best work in the secret place. God does his best work in the prayer closet. God does his most transforming work, not in public, 
but in private. Does that make sense? In my life, that's how God works. It's not on a grand scale. It's not for other people to see, but it's for me to, it's not that I can't testify, because I certainly can testify about what God is doing. That's part of, part of how God spreads the good news. But God does a lot of things in my prayer closet. There's lots of repentance that happens in my prayer closet. There's lots of forgiveness that has to be given, right? Yes. <laughs> because usually, usually forgiveness happens more here than there. It usually does. And it's in a secret place. Yeah. So we look at scripture and say, okay, what does this mean for us today? Nice story, lovely miracle that God performed way back in those days. How does that affect us? So we started looking at oil. What, 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 what does this oil mean? And we find that in scripture, quite often, oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit that there's um, an anointing by the use of oil, which is the involvement of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Um, in in uh, Mark 14, there's a story of uh, a woman who anointed Jesus, and she poured out this small amount of very expensive oil on him, and the people around got pretty upset about it. The disciples got upset, upset about it and said, you know, in particular, one uh, gospel says that Judas got really angry that she was wasting all this money. We could have used it for the poor, he says. But we also know that Judas was skimming off some of the money. So, Oil represents several things. It represents the anointing of God by the Holy Spirit for service. It, it also represents provision, filling with something that is needed, and it's often called the oil of gladness. So our question is, as vessels of God, are we desiring that kind of oil? See, and we are vessels of God. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Put that one up. It says, but we have the treasures of jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So, so we are a vessel and the treasure we carry in us is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. See, Jan said something many years ago that we use a phrase um, very often, and, and it, it started off sort of as a, a bit of a joke kind of thing. And she says, God continues to use these old cracked pots. I, if you get our newsletter, you probably hear me. It's written there a lot of times. And I, 
I, I was a little offended by that at first. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm getting older, but I mean, cracked? I think I'm pretty okay. But we realized that as we, as we listened and, and started to examine that, is that what Jen was saying, illustrating, was that in a cracked pot, what is ever inside that pot comes out. So if we are a cracked pot filled with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's coming out. That's light shining out of the cracked pot into darkness, right? That's true, isn't it? Yeah. So that, that's the first question, because we're, are, as vessels of God, do we desire the oil of the Holy Spirit? Do we desire who the Holy Spirit is, that he's God, and, and, and what he brings into our lives? The second question we ask is, how do we come to the Lord in the secret place? You know, it's all well and good for me to stand up and say, you know, your prayer closet. Well, most of us don't have any room in our house to have a prayer closet. My, my closet is filled with junk, if, if I'm being honest. But, but do I have that secret place, that prayer closet, that I'm carrying with me wherever I go? We do a lot of traveling. I mean, even to come here, it took an hour and 45 minutes for us to drive here. We carry the secret place with us. That's our time to pray. That's our time to, to meet with an extra time to meet with the Lord. We meet with the Lord in the morning every day and, and every noon and every night. But we take every opportunity to, to say, God, I am that secret place. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you go to pray, go into your room. Close the door, just exactly what God said through Elijah. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. See, see this takes away from for me any desire or any um, seeking to get glory for myself. See, when, when I'm standing up here speaking, I want to be bringing the glory to God, but there's something inside of me that looks for just a little bit of the glory for me. And that's why some people would not say to me, good job, Doug, because they, they know that's in me and they don't want to help it to grow. So those were the instructions to the, to the widow from Elijah. Close the door behind you. Now, we live in a culture I think you all live in a culture more so than we do because we live, we used to live full-time in Mexico. We lived full-time for more than 10 years there. We lived in a poor village. We had nothing, but we had everything. And I would say every time I crossed the border to come back here, like we'd come back for four weeks or six weeks in the summertime, every time I'd cross the border, I'd say this thing of materialism almost jumps on me. 
It's so, it's so prominent, so evident here. You don't see it when you live in it. I never saw it when I lived here. But I think as soon as I come across the border, I say, I am so poorly dressed. I am so out of style. I am so this. I am, and you know, I'd come across and I'd see, wow, look what everybody has. Look what more everybody's getting. Look at how many vacations. Look at how much, how their houses are so beautiful and how many cars they have. And, and see, it was a very judgmental thing on my heart. A very, I, I'm not saying it's all everybody else's fault. It was something that God was revealing to me. But we live in a culture. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. But we live in a culture that says, I am number one. I have everything I need. And we often quote that scripture, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. That is true, but read it in the context. Paul is talking about whether I have nothing or whether I have everything, I can do all things. Through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Not through my education, not through my gifting, not through my persona, not through my clothing, not for, through my children, not because they are this or that, or I am this or that, or he is this or that. Because what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? See, who, who are those widows that we're talking about? Who, who are the empty people? The ones who are not too full of something to receive what God has. Jesus explained that very clearly in the Beatitudes. Remember in Matthew 5, 3 to 11, I think it is. It's not going up there, but it, it's, it's the Beatitudes where, where Jesus is speaking to the people, and he said, these are the people who will be blessed by God. And then he starts listening. He says, the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, those who mourn. They will be comforted. The meek. They will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. The merciful. They will be shown mercy. The pure in heart. They will see God. The peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. The persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is defining for us emptiness. Those who are empty. These are the people who will be blessed. By being blessed, they will be filled. So we need to look at what are we filled with? What, what fills me? What am I full of? Well, I'm full of self, right? And I'm in a culture that advocates that, that pushes it, that pursues that, that teaches that, that encourages that. And so I feel that I'm full of, when I get all the material things around me, then I'm full, right? Then I'm full. When I get this self-confidence, 
Hmm. Believe it or not, or you might believe it, you might not, I would not stand up and speak in front of people. I, I just didn't have any confidence. And there's times when that comes back at me. When I say, you know what, Jen, you, you, you go and preach at Landmark this morning because I, I don't have the confidence to do that. So I have worked at self-confidence, being confident in myself. I've had people encourage me. I, my biggest encourager is right here. For over 50 years, she has encouraged me that I can do it, which is good, right? But I get full of that, and there's no room for the Holy Spirit. I don't need, I, I'm reliant on myself. I'm full of my material things. I'm full of my, my own strength. I can do this. I can do that. I'm facing an issue right now at my stage in life where I, I realize, I see the truth. I cannot do what I did 10 years ago. Not physically and not emotionally. Spiritually, I can, as long as I stay focused on the spiritual. I trust in my own ability, and so I am full. And you know that full thing, if you try to pour something in on top of it, it just flows out over the edge, right? It's useless. But God fills the empty. That's what he says in the Word. When we come empty when we come like children, when we come broken, when we come confused, when we come and we say we're helpless, when we come and we say we don't know what to do. You know what? Landmark, you're in a great position right now. Like as was demonstrated before with the prayer. You're coming empty, or you should be coming empty. You should be coming not with your own expectations and judgments and all those other things. You should be coming and saying, God, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you to fill this house, to fill these vessels, to fill this place. And only God can do that. The rest of you can't do it, but God can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a story of... of uh, in Luke 18, of, of two men who come before God. One is a Pharisee, and one is a tax collector. And the Pharisee says, oh God, thank you that I am not like these other people. I, I go to temple, I go a couple of times a week, I fast, I give a tithe, and I'm so grateful that I'm not like these other men. And then the tax collector comes, and he, he is so humble, he can't even lift his eyes to heaven, it says. And he says, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's desperate for God. And the Bible says, who goes away justified? Not the Pharisee, but the tax collector, the one who was humble, the one who said, I'm broken. I need you. I need your protection. I need your provision. I need your changing, your life, your life changing 
grace. I need forgiveness. I need comfort and I need healing for my brokenness and for who I am in myself. That comes up over and over again in scripture. I think right away of James 4.10, I think it is. Mm -hmm. right? God opposes the proud right, and lifts up the humble. Like, do you ever want to be opposed by God? Like if you're opposed. That's a scary thing, eh? You're not going anywhere, are you? And if God is the one that's opposing you, no. there's no hope. No. There's no hope there. So we have to think of it as the humble person is the empty person, mm. or maybe the empty person is the humble person. They seem to go together. Right. Humility demonstrates your need for something other than yourself. Yeah. Right. See, Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on that which does not satisfy, on what, what is not bread, and your labor on that which doesn't satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. And then if we go to Revelations 3, this is at the end of the book. This, this for me, is, is almost one of the scariest scriptures. It really is. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story just after this. Revelations 3, 17 to 18, which should be up there, says, You say, I am rich. You say I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not require you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That means those are think times of trials. Hmm. Refined in the fire. You're going through a fire right now as you wait. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Hmm. When, when, when we lived in, in Mexico in the village full time, uh, we went to all kinds of different little villages and Russ has been there with us and he knows what I'm talking about. Um, People who lived in huts, they lived in a palapa, uh, often with a dirt floor. A palapa is just maybe one wall, one stick wall, a thatched roof, and dirt floors, most of them. Rarely did they have concrete. Um, and, and we had a friend in a, in a village nearby, and we would go and visit her uh, probably maybe once a week, and her name was Marcel, Marcella. She was blind. So th this really speaks to me. She was blind and she was poor. And she had to go to the bathroom in a pot, like a pail. And somebody would come, um, I think one of her 
family members, a cousin or something, would come and empty that for her. Um, oh, dear. It's very emotional for me. They would come and they would empty it for her, maybe, I don't know, whenever they'd think about it. And, uh, um, and I would come and visit with her. And, and we would both come. And uh, we would always bring her some money, bring her some food, bring her some money, uh, bring her some water, some safe water, drinking water. And she was just almost the most grateful person that you could remember, you could ever think of. And she was, she didn't even see how dirty she was because she couldn't see. And so... Um, she, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, she, she lived in a room that was probably eight feet by eight feet, um, dark, didn't matter to her, uh, and she was quite crippled. And so crippled. she had a, one kind of chair that she sat in, and she had these plastic buckets around her that was her, her furniture. And that was her treasures were hidden and in so there. And so she had anything that was of, anything she had was in a bucket close by that she could reach from the chair. Like the big paint buckets that you yeah. buy, you know? Yeah. And so every time I would go, she would always find something to give me. And it would be a, usually just a dirty little napkin that she would have tried to embroider without her sight. She, she saved the ones when she was when she did have her sight, those were special. They were in another place. And about once every month, I would get one of the special ones. They have, would have been put away, folded away years ago in this bucket, this one special bucket. And she knew exactly where it was in her little mm -hmm. shack. But um, we always took teams that came to visit us. We would take them into these villages so they could see how people lived and so they could pray for people. And we had a team of um, cheerleaders from Texas. from Texas. And, the, and these were not just cheerleaders. These were top of the line competing cheerleaders who won the whole state and the whole, and these were young girls that would be just as you imagine. They would be a perfect size whatever and they would have be dressed perfectly and have be coiffed perfectly and everything would be perfect. And these girls that I took with me, um, you weren't there at the time, no, I took, yeah, I, was okay. there. I took this, we took this team in and this one girl was just girls. absolutely shocked. And she, this girl had a backpack that probably cost close to $500. Now I'm not kidding. Like, she, it was, I mean, and she had been talking about it before. She said, look at my dad bought me. And it was this amount of money, and he went to a really expensive store. And, and she was dressed to the nines always, like with really expensive clothes. So then I said to the team, we're going to ask Marcella, in Spanish I'm talking to her, what she would need us to pray for. What, what, what is her greatest need right now? So I asked Marcella that in Spanish. And she said, I really don't have any needs. The stench in that place was overbearing. I really don't have any needs. I have a friend who comes and empties the buckets for me. I have another friend who brings me tortillas.
And I have this friend, meaning me, who brings me good things to eat and money. But the most important thing is she comes and she reads the Bible to me. Because I can't read the Bible. And my friends talk to me about Jesus and how he loves me. So I don't really have any needs. Well, you can just imagine what happened with these girls. They could not believe their ears. And, and even telling this story, it's like we left, we prayed for her, and we left that place, and they said, what's wrong with her? How can she not know? And I said, well, what, what did you come away from with this? What did you come away from this with? What was the one statement she said? And she had made this statement. If I have Jesus and friends who talk to me about Jesus, I have everything. I thought, See, that's why this is such a significant verse for me. See, there, there's such a very obvious contrast between the empty, the one who is blessed by God because they are that empty vessel and these young people who are full, full of what the culture around them tells them is important. And it was for us as well because we were full too. We weren't in that place where we were desperate for God. We had strong feelings to help these kind of people, but we didn't see ourselves as being satisfied with what we had from the culture that we grew up in, we were in, and compared to that culture, we were rich. I mean, we had a house with three rooms. It had a concrete floor. It had an indoor bathroom. We had a window air conditioner. We had a water system that we only lost once a day. We had electricity sometimes. So we really had to examine ourselves and say, how do we deal with the culture that we were raised in, the culture that we live in, the culture that we go back to that says, fill yourself with this stuff around you because it will satisfy you. And we know in our heads that it will not. And yet we continue to make that our treasure mm -hmm. rather than emptying ourselves of that, of all that self that's in us and say, God, we need you. We need you because you satisfy. Not only do you satisfy here and now, but you satisfy in eternity. Yeah. 
And that's where we're all going. We're going to eternity. Two different directions, though, but right. one eternity. Right. How do you convince people who are full of that selfness of culture that their eternity is, they can't even imagine how horrible that is. And I'm trying to sell them an eternity that I can't even imagine how beautiful that is. You know, God fills those who know him. God fills, that's our promise. God will never turn us away. If we come to him desperate to be filled, no matter what, whether it's a physical thing you need or a broken thing that needs to be healed or a financial thing or a health thing or a family thing or a relationship thing, when we come to him desperate and say, God, we're empty, he promises he will fill us. He promises he won't, he won't say no. It's like if you need wisdom, James says he'll give it to you. He's not going to withhold it. God is not a withholding God. God wants his children to come and to fill them with the riches of his glory. Yeah. Because he paid an incredible price because of Jesus dying on the cross for our benefit, for the riches of his glory that he's going, he distributes to us, that he fills us with. And, and we receive his fullness. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his intimacy, his abundant life. We receive his riches and not the world's. So he invites us daily, even hourly. I don't know about you, but I have to come hourly. I was just complaining yesterday about something or other, some foolish thing. I, I have a tendency as I'm aging, which, which I, I detest, that, that I... That the I, aging or the tendency? No, the aging's okay. <laughs> it's, it's the tendencies to say, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I don't, you know, and I think, be satisfied, Jan. If you don't like it, go to God for something else. What are you doing watching that silly television set that you hate? Mm. I mean, I say that, so we've started to stop doing that. We started to stop, yeah, kind of started to stop doing that. We're still starting. And instead, instead, we're listening to podcasts, like Christian podcasts, something that will, will increase the hunger in us for more of the Lord instead of more of the world. And, and that, I think, is what we're doing. I, I don't know what God is speaking to you. But we felt this message came from him. We felt it was for people here. Uh, I mean, it's for people everywhere, I think. But, but maybe we'll just uh, stop here and uh, ask you just to close your eyes, for bow your heads, or whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But just allow the Lord to speak to your heart about maybe where you have not been desperate where you have been looking to self, or you've been looking not just to, to your abilities, to your strength, where you've been looking to your um, ability to, to fill yourself. 
and God is speaking. We believe God is speaking. And he's calling. He's calling those who are brokenhearted. He's calling those who, who want more, who want to be more desperate, who want to hunger and thirst after righteousness and after him. So we're just, I think, going to just ask if God is speaking to you. You can stand. You can raise a hand.